Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Vincent Metcalf, CEO of Nomad Royalty. We spoke to him last October, so we're keen to catch up and see how things are progressing, what the plans are for 2021. So if you want our thoughts on the conversation, what's been happening uh, in the marketplace and indeed the company, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports uh, and analysis. There are commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. There's a training course or two to help you with your diligence. And of course, summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you a bit of time. And if you'd like to join a thriving community of intelligent investors, sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice uh, in a nice safe environment in a nice polite and civil way you can join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club vincent how you doing sir very good thank you long time no see so i think i saw you in october how have you been it's been pretty busy um you know the end of the year was obviously we had a lot of things going on and i would say that uh, that is translating well into 2021 now so um i would say that on the you know pipeline point of view corporate development things are going you know even better than we expected so it's uh you know looking forward to uh to what 2021 brings us fantastic you know it's not going so well your share price what's happening it's not where we want it to be but uh you know, I think uh, at the end of 2020, we had a lot of different things that came together that probably created a bit more pressure than uh, than we expected. We had uh, Yamana that uh, came out with a secondary of our shares, um, you know, in the timing of it at the end of December when uh, funds are closing uh, the, the, the end of the year. And we also had, I think, you know, mixed to that a bit of tax loss selling, um, you know, obviously created a bit more pressure on this on, on the share price than we expected. But I think the main thing is to, to remember is, you know, we're making money every day. Um, our assets are going very, very well versus where we were in, in May when we first started trading. Um, we've de-risked the company even more. Uh, we've put a lot of things in place to really build a real business. You know, we've got now our dividend uh, policy that's there. We have our credit facility that gives us, you know, capacity with our with the cash on the balance sheet of around $100 million to look at bigger deals. Um, so, you know what, at the end of the day, yeah, the share price is not where we want it to be, but we're doing and taking all the steps that we need to take um, to build a real business. So um, am I concerned? No. Do I think about it? Yes. Um, but, you know, uh, if, if we keep executing on the plan, um, you know, we're, we're definitely going to get the, the value in our shares and then it won't take too much longer. Okay, so let me look at some of the, the examples you gave there of why that pressure is there. Yaman, just explain what went on there, because obviously they're sold down. That doesn't look, the optics don't look good there. Why, why are they selling down? So I, I think that's a, you know, it's something that we need to take back to when we actually first started the company. Um, when Yaman had put those non-core assets, the, the royalties um, for sale, um, their first ask to every bidder um, was $30 million in cash we went through the process of buying those assets with the intention of the, giving them $30 million in cash on closing. Um, as you remember, something happened early <laughs> last year called COVID and the pandemic financial crisis, exactly when we announced our deal um, at the end of February, early March. So instead of raising what we thought would be 25 to $30 million and paying them that money on close, we were only able to, you know, to raise 10 million and, and give them 
10 million on close. Um, obviously being a big company, Amanda still had that line item in their budget to say, we need to realize and crystallize $30 million of, of cash. So the $25 million Canadian of secondary that happened at the end of the year, you know, answered that. So with the 10 million we gave them originally, plus the $25 million Canadian, they were able to realize at the end of the year, um, that's that $30 million. So the rest for them is optionality and they're going to sit on it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we're back to where we thought we would be in April when we had the intention of raising 30 million. Uh, and the amount is, is exactly at the same spot. So, but with a much more de-risked uh, business. Right. So it, it was known as far as you're concerned, expected, and they worked with you on, in the process to allow you to get into the hands of people that you wanted to get it into, that we're saying. Exactly. So obviously, I think the, the first, you know, the, the process of doing these things is never, you know, you know, very black and white. So it took a bit of time to get, um, you know, the proper funds in, 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 the, um, in the deal. Uh, but I think that's something that's very important also is when we first, you know, started trading, our, our public float was only 6%. As we sit here today, we're over 20% now. Uh, with that $25 million that we placed, half of that went into the hands of institutional. And most importantly, half of it went into the hands of retail. So we did, we went in with a very, very big syndicate. I think we had like 12 or 13 brokers, um, all with very good retail networks. And we really pushed on those brokers to push those, those shares into the hands of, of the retail system to really increase that liquidity over time. And going back to the institutional front, we were able to get, I think, nine, nine new funds into the, into the stock. Um, and with the timing of it, Obviously, they didn't, they didn't, you know, come in with full positions. So the expectations is that those funds in 2021 will keep building out their positions and obviously support the stock over time. Okay, and so let's just remind ourselves the numbers. So they Yamana cashed in how much in dollar terms? Uh, 25 million dollars Canadian at the end of the year, plus 10 million US on close. Right. Okay. Of the first transaction. Okay. And you said that they will sit on the balance. They went from what? Sorry, how many shares? So they, they were at uh, they were at thirteen point three percent prior to the deal. Now they're at uh, if you convert their their convertible loan, um, they are just over ten percent without the convertible loan around seven point five percent. Right. And when you say they're going to sit on it, are they obliged to contractually, or you just hope that they will? Is there an overhang? Is so what I'm based asking? on based on the deal that they just did, they still have, I think, a three month lockup. Um, but then after that, they could do whatever they want. Uh, and truthfully, I think what we'll make sure we do is keep make sure that we we understand their intentions and that we you know again bringing more liquidity liquidity to our stock is going to be a, a very big positive for us you've seen some of our peers get included in the jdxj um you know and 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 those you know catalysts for those companies have been incredible so that's something that's also on our radar screen is is making sure that we keep improving the, the liquidity the public public float of the company um to have that optionality of perhaps getting into those indices in 2021 right okay um you talked about end of year being a factor, end of year just because of tax loss season. I mean, if you're mostly institutional, is that what happens over there as well? Well, there's there's tax loss selling. I don't think that was necessarily uh, institutional selling our stock, uh, but we did close a lot of different deals. I mean, we we if you look at our share price performance from this from the outset, and we we you know we went up to I think a dollar ninety at one point. Um, so there was a lot of people that probably picked up shares during that rise. 
was it you know you know maybe that was some of those uh, shareholders selling and looking to buy back in 2021 but we also did a lot of different deals you know we we acquired coral uh, gold which was a big basket of uh, you know i'd say of, of shareholders uh, in the us and in canada um, so maybe they were crystallizing gains off of that um, off of that uh, that acquisition uh, and then we also had Troilus and um, and Moss, which we also bought, which had a few shareholders attached to those deals. So I would say it's just a conjunction of things. And then you add the volatility that we had on the gold and silver price um, and also what was happening on the U.S. side of things in terms of the elections, creating a bit more, I would, I would say, instability within the market. It, it created that perfect storm. Okay, so let's talk about what you're going to do about it. Because when we spoke, you're about 850 million market cap. You're just under 600 at the moment because of what's happened in and around Christmas period. I guess the U.S. election hasn't helped uh, the market really. And it's interesting, actually. What's your take on the precious metal markets and the way that's kind of pulled back? Because you're precious metal focused. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think with everything that we're seeing in in the world, um, it definitely points to higher precious metal prices uh, in the short to midterm. Um, you know, whether, and, and I think from a sustained point of view, I think we're going to see higher long-term prices uh, on the gold and silver fronts uh, in the years to come. I think right now, you know, we're sitting at $1,600 being the long-term gold price. Um, I would, I'm way more aggressive in, in the way I look at the world. I think we'll probably end up with $1,800, $2,000 gold prices going forward in three to four years. Um, I think it just hasn't been reflected in the market yet. Uh, with everything that we're seeing around the world, governments printing money and, you know, obviously uh, having to, to to battle, you know, the, the financial effects of, of what the pandemic is, um, you know, uh, how, how it's affecting the, the different programs and, and the people in the world. I think there's definitely going to be more inflation um, coming, which obviously the best uh, best protection for that is is to buy gold assets. Yeah. Last time we you spoke about three thousand dollar goals. I think you've just been a little bit more conservative about the three to four year outlook of eighteen hundred to two thousand. So I think we're going to get there, but we're going to settle probably. Okay, okay, but you, you'd be happy with eighteen hundred to two thousand over the next three four years. That that for your business that works. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we created the business, we were looking at fourteen seventy five long term. Or actually, actually, the long term was thirteen eighty. Spot prices were fourteen seventy five. Here we are, sitting twelve months later. Um, with you know 1875 gold and you know things are good, are looking very very good on on our front in terms of the business that we're building right okay and talking of building businesses one of the things you said to me last time is you don't want to be a sub billion dollar company you want to be a three billion plus dollar company that that's really interesting so what are you gonna do about it because the the transactions you've just mentioned to me are small they're kind of incidental in a way so you know, are you going to be doing larger syndicated deals? Are you going to be able to, you know, use this credit facility of yours to actually do big deals this year? Yeah, no, look, we have our credit facility. We have $25 million in the bank. We're probably going to generate cash margins between 35 and $40 million this year. Um, so at one point, we're going to have 50 to $60 million on the balance sheet. Uh, plus that, 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 uh, that facility, um, which could be expanded once we get Blyvor and Woodlawn back up and running. Um, so, at the main focus of Nomad at the moment is to bring in new significant deals, which are over fifty million dollars um, in size. So, if we're looking at something that's in the two hundred million dollar range, that's when we go back to that syndication 
um, you know, theme, which we have ongoing dialogue with some of our peers uh, when looking at some of those big, big deals. And we've seen some, some I would say, super large uh, deals in the news looking at billion dollar type streams. Those are probably still a bit too big for us. Uh, but hopefully within the next three to five years, that will be something that we'll be able to, to look at. Uh, but anything between, I would say, 50 and $250 million is something that is achievable from our group, uh, whether we do it with, you know, on our own or with a partner, that obviously depends on the, on, the, uh, on the opportunity. But the main focus is really near-term cash flow, keep adding to that cash flow theme of ours, um, which is, you know, really diversifying those different sources globally from, you know, different types of countries, different types of operations, uh, but always focused on gold and silver. Do you think, I mean, you talked uh, again previously about maximizing resource uh, exposure and also to, you know, precious metals, which is what you're at. And, you know, your job is to minimize risk every day of the week. You're putting out little fires and, and, and taking opportunities where you where you see them. Um, what's, what, scale of deals do you think you need to be uh, completing this year? How, how much more do you need to add to the current portfolio to allow you to be a bit more credible? Because you, you, you're in yeah. like an in-between stage at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, no, we do, you know, I think 75 million to $100 million in terms of deployed capital is definitely something that is our main goal. Um, if we're able to do that, I think that brings us into a different stage of really showing the market, um, you know, these guys know what they're doing. They're able to deploy in, you know, project financing or mine expansion type uh, type deals. Um, and they have that, that expertise and they're able to do it and they're showing it. And I think that's also going to bring a lot of different, I would say, institutional um, you know, investors that are looking at us and saying, are they going to do it? Or are they not going to do it? Um, and I think because the minute we do that, then it's, I think we're off to the races because then we end up getting more calls from different operators because you have that, you know, that, that credit credibility um, that says, okay, you said you were going to do it. You did it. Um, and I, also, I think it's also about tailoring your different assets. And I think we discussed that last time um, is able the ability of our group to maybe tailor certain uh, deals to different different partners uh, that are looking for for stream um, financing. And, and I think that's something that we're seeing more and more is the fact that operators and and potential partners for us have now really come to, I would say, uh, accepting the streaming financing. It's something that's a great cost of capital. We end up being the longest, I would say, supporter and shareholder of that mine. Um, because once we do our investment, we're there till the end. Um, and the cost of capital point of view is just incredible. I mean, compared to equity and debt, um, you know, the, you, you, for every deal that you've seen printed in the last 12 to 24 months, um, the cost of capital is super attractive to uh, to operators. Right, and again, I'm, I just look again looking forward about how you because I always have to remind people you're not operators, you're portfolio managers. That's what you do, right? That, that's that's the day job here. You're not miners in any way, shape, or form. Um, but if I look at the market out there, there's a lot of companies who are getting financed that shouldn't be getting financed. I.e., people are making mistakes. Um, by choosing companies which just aren't going to make it further down the line. You guys have got to be careful. You, you know, we, you, you're very careful, I know, not to overpay for things, not to overcompete because it's going to cause you problems down the line. I mean, how are you building up the team at the moment? Because last time I spoke, I think we were, you were either three or possibly four people um, to, 
To expand the way that you've described, you're going to have to get good people on board. How's that going? Yeah, no, we've, uh, we were four, I think, uh, last time we spoke. We're now six. We've added on the technical front. Um, we've added uh, Vincent caldin family who's a, a, a geologist slash geophysicist. And I think that's probably the person that um, took the longest to really find because um, there's not a lot of them that are available uh, and that are good and that we wanted our, on our team. Um, and, and for us as a royalty and streaming company, it's probably one of the most crucial, you know, I would say roles within the business because everything starts and ends with the resource. Is the resource there? Is it not there? You know, operators could optimize mills and, you know, uh, and mining techniques, but if the resource isn't there, um, you have a problem. So for us, it's some, something that, you know, and someone that we really wanted to focus on finding the right uh, the right person. Um, so we're very happy to have him and he's got broad experience, you know, in Africa, Latin America and the U S and Canada. Um, so, and, and both in base metal and precious metal mines. Um, so for us, I think that's even a, a better, I would say, uh, de-risking factor for us because we don't necessarily just rely on, on, on consultants. Also, you know, we have a very, very good relationship with a lot of different consultant firms, but having that person in house now, navigate between those different consultants and making sure that they answer the right questions um, is something that's going to even more uh, is going to be even more beneficial to us and to the nomad shareholders. Does that change the parameters under which you originally set up? Because you, 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 you know, you're comfortable with certain jurisdictions, you're comfortable with uh, precious metals. Um, can, do you see the rules under which you operate changing as you get bigger? Is that what's going to allow you to grow in 2021? I think we're always going to keep that big focus on on cash flow. But the main thing that a person like Vince is going to add is adding that optionality and that blue sky to the different option, uh, the different opportunities that we're looking at. If you look at the last few deals that we've done, they're more on the development front. Uh, you know, Blackwater is a Canadian asset. It's not um, in production at the moment, but it's backed by one of the best teams in the business, Artemis Gold. They have the capability to finance it, to build it, to put it in production. They've done it before. Uh, but the, the great thing about having a person like Vince on the team is that he's able to look at say, okay, what's there now? And what's the potential for resource growth and optionality and leverage to gold and silver prices down the road? So that's where I think with, you know, as we keep building the team, we're also building, you know, the business. So it's, it's focus on cash flow and then building those optionality type, um, I would say, assets into the portfolio. We saw a large number of new royalty companies and streaming companies hitting the market last year. I mean, all, well, a lot of small ones, let me put it like that. Are you concerned um, by that? Is that just white noise? Is that causing you difficulties in getting your story out there or you know what your differentiator is you know look i, I think the more the merrier because at the end of the day everybody could be lucky uh, and find something really good uh, i think you know when one of the themes that we discussed last time is consolidation i think at the end of the day um, this sector will need further consolidation and i was listening to a few different um, conferences at, at the back end of 2020 and for the first time some of the majors were actually saying that we might see consolidation. Um, and I think that also speaks to, um, you know, the quality of some, some of the companies that are coming up. Um, but I would say that, you know, from a, from a 
competition point of view, it depends what you're looking at. You know, buying third-party royalties is great, but it doesn't add a lot of scale to your portfolio. So for a company our size, you know, streaming is very important. Um, and that's gonna, always going to be a major focus for us. Uh, you know, what's great about a company like ours is now we've got eight research analysts covering us. Um, I think for the smaller player, it's going to be a bit tougher to get that, that traction. Um, so I think, you know, going back to the original question on share price and distribution to the shareholders, I think the more, you know, I would say support from uh, the brokers and, and so on, I think the better um, as, you know, the, the brand name, the, new, the, the, the Nomad brand name will become a bit more, um, I would say, uh, a normal investable uh, royalty company down the road. And I think for us, you know, it's being part of that mid-cap space and growing into that large-cap space over time. Why did you feel a need to uh, do a dividend out of the gate? You did it within one month of trading. You're like, no, we're we're, we're issuing dividends here. I mean, and the the scale of the dividends is so insignificant that so uh, to be inconsequential to big or small shareholders. I mean, what's your, what's the feedback feedback been on that? Um, I would say that in general, very positive. Some of them, you know basically invest just on the back of having that dividend. Um, some of them are, I would say, would rather see it re- reinvested, but with the amount of cash flow that we're having. I mean, we were, we started the business, we had $10 million in the bank. We're now at 25, six months later. So we're generating very, very strong cash flows and we've already paid two dividends. Um, but we also have that that line of credit that's there. So if we really need, if, 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 if a business like ours can't pay $2 million a quarter in dividends, there's a problem. Um, so, you know, with, with, with the amount of cash flow that's, that's going to be generating, and that's with six assets, we've got four that are producing, we've got 14 under management. So we could see how this portfolio evolves over time. Um, but it also, also goes back to, to just the mentality of, our, of the business. You know, we're, we're paying bit dividends. Uh, management's been buying back shares. Um, you know, I've, I've bought, I think, uh, $160,000 worth of shares since our last meeting. Um, remember, we're not taking salaries either. So a portion of that came through, um, I would say, salary payments. But all of our management team has been reinvesting in the business. At, at a dollar, this company is, is a screaming buyer from, our, from my point of view. And, you know, um, I think we're probably closer to the $1.50 type range in terms of a normal share price. We're going to get there. It's just a matter of time, but the dividend is really what's important is, is you create that st- stability um, and that confidence within the market. And, you know, we started paying it and we're going to start growing it as well as these, as these assets come online. Um, and some, that's a track record that we want to build on. So over the next three to five years, you know, we started with a two cent dividend, hopefully within five years, we're at a 10 cent dividend, depending on what we end up doing in terms of, of deals. But those are things that we're very, very serious about. Um, and, and it just shows, you know, how we want to grow the business. So optionality is great, but cash flow is even better for us. Okay. So your plans are to do bigger deals. You want to do bigger deals this year. Because again, if I look at your competition, you know, you're, you're not going to kind of stand out by doing deals like Blackwater or Coral or Moss, right? You're going to need to come to the table with some something big, like you did out of the gate, right? You guys mm-hmm. came out of the gate, like blasting, right? So are you going to be able to do that this year? What what would you be disappointed with it if, if, at the end of the year with? I mean, if if, if I if you were a if sub, if, if you're sub billion dollars at the end of, end of this year, you upset? Depends on what type of deals we've been we've been doing, but I would say that the most important thing for us it's always about that per share metric. You know, um, 
I don't really care about the market cap. I care about the share price and delivering that value. So, you know, we're going to add value to that share price. Um, but I would be disappointed if we're not able to, to structure a stream this year. Um, that would be something that means something's gone wrong. Um, but really, I think, you know, with everything that we're seeing in front of us, um, the pipeline is, is very robust. Um, there's a lot of different things going on. You know, you've seen the copper price rise. So you've seen, we, we've, we've seen, I would say, operators on that front start knocking, door, knocking on the doors of the streamers for potential streaming opportunities on mine expansions. Um, so, you know, everything that we're seeing around us, there's a lot of very good things going on. Um, and I think that's going to create a lot of different opportunities. When do you start paying yourselves? Well, on May 29th, it'll be 12 months. So we'll see what happens um, and we'll see what we decide as a team. Um, but look, at the end of the day, for now, it's keeping this company as flexible and as lean as possible. Um, you know, we will probably look at listing on the New York Stock Exchange at one point. Um, we will likely consolidate the shares at the same time. Um, so there's a lot of different things that, that we're looking at. But in terms of salary, and I think the most important thing is making sure that we have a GNA that's, you know, as as low as possible versus our peers to even, you know, incite, um, I would say, uh, investors to invest in our shares versus some of our peers. Well, it's very generous of you, but at some point you've got to reward yourself. Well, so how, how do you remunerate yourself in, in May? Let's say you did that. Well, at the end of the day, we're, we're very big shareholders too, right? So... Um, if we keep paying that dividend, we do get something. But at, we're, if we're getting something, you're getting something. So that's the you know that's the way to build a real, a real business is making sure that you are as aligned with your shareholders uh, and your investors as possible. Um, so you know everything we do goes back to putting your you know your shareholder mentality first. So if we have a deal in front of us. And, you know, we need to, to figure out, is it a good deal or a bad deal? Well, what's the effect on the share price? If it hurts me, well, perhaps you have a better, better thought process of saying, how do we structure this deal properly to make sure that it delivers that value to your shareholders? So I think that's something that, you know, we're not growing just for the great, the, 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 you know, just to grow. We're, we're really growing to, to make sure we deliver that, that per share value. Anyone watching this, do write in and let me know your thoughts on how CEOs and boards should remunerate themselves. I think that's fantastic. Genuinely do. Um, okay. So given your share prices where it's at, you think it should be about a buck fifty. It's not. What are the things you think people should be looking at and how are you going to help them find that information or the points that you want them to be looking at? Well, look, we've got a few different things that are coming online. Obviously, when Blivor in South Africa starts uh, producing this year, that's going to be a big catalyst. Um, and it's, gonna, it's, it's probably going to end up being one of our top assets within the next two to three years. Um, you know, you touched on Coral. It's a small acquisition, but the potential of that asset growing into something much larger is incredible. I mean, you've got a, a, a scale, basically a, a sliding scale royalty um, that's, that goes up to 2.2% um, on Robertson, which is the extension of Cortez. Barrick and Newmont have now announced that they're putting that in production within the next five years uh, with first production in 2025. That's an asset that typically the Francos and the Royals own. 
and we were able to buy it before that news came out. Um, the minute we closed that deal, the next day Barry came out with the investor presentation um, and and put and basically gave out that news. The thing to remember about Barrick, Barrick doesn't put a one and two million dollar resource in production. They put five to ten million ounce resource in production. Um, Cortez produces seven hundred and fifty to a million ounces a year, depending on the year. So, for us to have a royalty on Robertson, which you know you don't need additional infrastructure, you everything's there. So to have that royalty within the portfolio you know, with the best operator in the world on their top mining camp in the world? What could you ask? I mean, so I think we're going to get more news on that over the year, plus Blyvor. So we're in a great position and, you know, we're making, we have no debt apart from that small convertible debenture that's, you know, at these prices will likely be converted. Um, and we're generating a lot of cash. So, you know, a lot of good things going on. Okay, great. Vincent, appreciate your time today. Nice to catch up with you. Um, good luck for 2021. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.